Giga Chikadze? More like Giga stop leading with your face because you keep getting countered over and over again with elbows. Hello and welcome to Tinkerdome, episode, uh, 33, I guess, I think. <laughs> I've, I've lost count because last week's episode was uh, the preview for Fight Night, Keita vs. Chikadze with Truem, and we both couldn't decide on whether or not this will that one would be uh, an MMA podcast episode or a Tengredom episode, so I've just set out on like mashing the two uh, together and sort of like... Uh, like rambling for an hour but yeah uh, we've been feeling fairly low energy for the past uh, couple months uh, at this point and uh, well, through, um, this fight was the uh, uh, I guess this, a sort of a uh, a checkpoint after which he will decide on whether or not he will continue caring about MMA going forward and uh, I suppose since the fight turned out to be pretty awesome, uh, I guess he cares now. And uh, uh, for me, I, I wasn't so far gone <laughs> into into the depths of cynicism, but I was feeling quite low energy. Uh, I have to admit, I wouldn't lie. I was feeling a bit under the weather, and uh, currently I'm kind of like. And for the past couple of weeks, honestly, it's been. Lots of shit being has been happening in real life, and I think I mentioned that uh, on the uh, um, end of the year Tengridome that I've recorded right um, on New Year's Eve, and uh, I've been having some sleep-related uh, issues for the past couple of weeks, so I've been feeling kind of messed up, but uh, 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 I've had <laughs> I've had a short deadlift session, uh, so I, I'm feeling kind of energized, so I figured I might as well just hop into it. But yeah, um, Keita vs. Chikadze, awesome, awesome fight. Bit of a beating, really. Not not really like a fight in the sense that it, it was like a back-and-forth banger, but it was certainly action-packed. Uh, Chikadze turned uh, um, left the octagon looking way worse for wear than Keita did, and uh, honestly, it was, mo- uh, it was more of a... Um, a, car- a career comeback, I suppose, performance for Keita in the sense that everyone was kind of sort of, everyone was sort of worried about Keita's prospects going forward after that um, Max Holloway uh, beating that he took. And um, for good reason, because beatings like this, uh, where a fighter takes like 700 punches to the head uh, without really gi- giving anything back for five rounds straight, uh, they tend to like they tend to alter career trajectories quite a bit, for various reasons. It can be a confidence issue. It can be a straight up physical issue because you're getting beaten up. Obviously, you're getting wailed on. And uh, Kata, it seems that uh, it seems that Kata took the smart approach, uh, which is refreshing and uh, um, fairly rare in MMA. I mean, another example would would be Brian Ortega after the Max Holloway beating, and uh, I suppose Brian Ortega after the Volkanovski beating. Just uh, can't catch a just can't catch a break that uh, that Brian Ortega. But Calvin Cater took a year off. Um, I, I didn't really like take all that much uh, to recover. It seems and uh, went back to square one. Went back to the drawing board and. Uh, uh, came back with some lessons, and he showcased, uh, a, 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 I would say, a rather rare willingness to learn and adjust between fights. And uh, he he took he didn't necessarily took the perfect lessons from that fight, and uh, and he would be uh, would have to be a very very smart man indeed to 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 be able to 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 manage that, but. Uh, Whatever adjustments that he did take prior to this fight, and uh, whatever adjustments that, that he did showcase in this fight, they were pretty much spot on. They were not ideal, but they worked, and they were good. And um, that's all you could ask for, really, from a competitor like him. But to zoom out a little and remind, uh, let let's just rewind a little bit, a little bit, and uh, uh, 
look at uh, the things that we um, decided to emphasize prior to this fight, the things that we mentioned in the preview. Uh, Keita historically has struggled with uh, prolific kickers, but he hasn't. He's, he has struggled in particular with kickers who are able to mix punches and kicks together in a very fluent way. So it's not like any kicker will do. It's not like if you just kick, then you've got Keita's number. It's not. It doesn't work like that. And in particular, um, uh, I would say that a, a more pressing concern for Keita was his lack of directionality in fights. And I'm going to talk about this quite a bit throughout this breakdown. What do I mean by that? Uh, Keita is uh, kind of... His fights tend to be sort of aimless in the sense that he doesn't pick a direction in which he wants the fight to go. And I'm not just talking about going backwards or forwards or just like uh, skipping sideways. It's not literal in that respect. It's not that literal. What I'm talking about is... uh, that uh, sometimes Kato would just sort of hang around and try to figure out at which range he wants to engage, and he wants that very specific range. It's not like he's comfortable in all ranges, although he should be. It's just that mentally he's he becomes uncomfortable where he can't like pelter, where he can't pelt people with his jab. He can't just, uh, and he likes having that full extension on that jab. He likes knowing that he has a full extension on a jab, and then he can unleash like a really good right straight or anything else. So this results in a situation where he, whenever he starts leading, and he's very uncomfortable about leading, and uh, this will play a role later uh, in the fight, uh, he, he, he becomes sloppier. He just kind of looks sloppy. Because part of it is because he starts smothering his own punches, and part of it is just that his uh, footwork is just not very uh, nuanced, not very tight on the lead. He's much more he 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 looks much prettier as a backfoot counterpuncher. But the problem is that as a backfoot counterpuncher, generally what you need to do is take a very small step backwards and then immediately unleash a counter. Kater has a tendency of conceding space for no reason, and that's what. That's what's fucked him against Max Holloway in their fight. If you go back and watch that fight, it's Holloway like unleashing a blitz, and uh, it could it could be a very sloppy blitz at times. It wasn't like a completely flawless performance, and in those spots, uh, you could see moments where like th- there was this split second where Keita could have countered Max Holloway and clattered him quite badly, but instead, what Keita did was just continue backpedaling until his back hit the fence. And you saw Yair Rodriguez do a good job of standing his ground, firing back with check hooks uh, and straights. And uh, as a result, uh, Max uh, left that fight. Um, even though Max dominated, he was uh, banged up quite a bit. It wasn't like completely one-sided, even though it was dominant. There's like degrees of that in fighting. So, uh, the, so now you have this dilemma where just hanging around, floating in neutral space is not a good idea against um, a dedicated kicker like Chikadze, who is, even though he's fairly rudimentary, uh, it's not like he's, uh, he, it's not, he, he plays the usual southpaw double attack game with kicks, with the body kick and the high kick, except he doesn't re- really have the tightest form on those weapons, and he doesn't have the tightest form with punches. He doesn't tie punches and kicks together in a very, like, intelligent and smart way. And, like, it doesn't look seamless. Even, like, at the most basic mechanical level, it's not seamless. His punches look different from his kicks, and his kicks look different from his punches, and his high kick looks different from his middle kick, and etc, etc. Sriam pointed this out on the preview, and we saw that play out in the fight itself. If you want to look at um, a pretty basic but nonetheless very effective example of how a southpaw double attacker, a southpaw kicker should look, I would say, I mean, it's it's a very basic example. It's a very, but but it, it's a, a very evocative example, which is Mirko Krokop. 
Just go back and watch his fights, both in K1 and in Pride. And you would see, and look in particular at his form and at how he positions himself in the cage. Uh, in the ring, rather. In those fights, at his prime. At, in the UFC, he kind of like gotten sloppy, but uh, in his prime, in Pride and in K1, it was pretty much picture perfect. He would like float around needlessly, like around his opponent, and uh, there would be no fat on his kicks and punches. They would just, they would be snappy, they would be explosive, and they would just bam, just come out of nowhere and clatter his opponent. With Giga, there's always this sort of like. Uh, a sort of a load up and his kicks and punches are always kind of like uh they're very powerful they're very fast and very strong and they're very like damaging but it's not like they're not very tight they're kind of like formless it's kind of like it's kind of i mean it could be a deliberate choice but in that it's kind of like the difference between hitting someone with a baseball bat and hitting someone with like a um, a rubber band, you know, like one of those, um, one of those strength cables, like, um, the rubber bands that you work out with, or, for example, like, but I guess, I suppose a better comparison would be, like, your dad's belt, <laughs> you know what I mean? The latter sure hurts a lot, but it's not as internally and just solidly damaging uh, as a baseball bat, you know? So back to Kata. So both of them have don't have the tightest ring craft. Uh, Kata kind of doesn't know where he wants to, the fight to stay, where he wants the wants the fight to go. Usually, uh, that's what that was his tendency for quite a while now, up until this fight. Giga Chikadze uh, doesn't necessarily corral his opponents into this um, into this backfoot ex- into backfoot exchanges where he just takes a stand and then unleashes his uh, offense on the counter. If you go, like, with uh, good uh, fighters of that mold, they kind of, like, take a step backwards and once you uh, cross a distance threshold, it acts as a trigger where they see, where they kind of sort of, like, feel you come closer. You cross a certain line, a certain, like, imaginary line in the sand between you and them, and then once you cross that, once you like, once once they feel like you're in range, they just spam attacks, and uh, it's it sounds very basic and sounds very primitive, but it works really well, especially if you're physical and powerful and explosive, and uh, good southpaws tend to be. Giga, however, is kind of like content, like uh, he's similar to Kata in the sense that he's he's content with floating around on the outside, not exactly having like strong triggers. Uh, and so, as a result, uh, Kater kind of like finally decided on picking a direction where he just decided to barge into range and swarm Giga Chikadze. And he was, he's had lots of success doing that because Giga Chikadze tend, Giga Chikadze's feet started just falling apart on the back foot. So, like, it, it, it's this interesting situation where both guys have clear issues with their footwork and ring craft, but one of them decided, to, one of them, one of them, kind of understood it, realized his limitations, and realized the limitation of his opponent and decided to exploit that, even though it would look ugly and sloppy and it may get him hurt, uh, but it was the right decision. It was absolutely the right decision. He uh, worked around his limitations, understood his limitations, and picked a good solution. It wasn't a perfect solution, it was a good solution. One of the solutions that I've suggested in the preview is that to spare himself the damage and to spare the danger of floating around in neutral space getting kicked up by an opportunistic Giga Chikadze, what Kato should could could do is to stay just outside of that range on that on those kicks. Just 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 a touch a touch farther than the than the reach of the foot to frustrate Giga and sort of like pot shot and use in and out movement. And uh, I'm certain that with Kata's arsenal, with his boxing proficiency, it could have could have worked. And especially if he decided to use like uh, linear side kicks to the knee, um, 
front kicks to the body, linear kicks to the body, and that kind of stuff. It's just that, obviously, Calvin Cater is not that type of fighter. He doesn't use... He doesn't use those tools. It's not his... Uh, it's not It's not exactly... It's not like it's not in his toolbox. It's just that he chooses not to use it. It's not his go-to technique to use. And that's perfectly fine. It was more of a, like, sort of a hypothetical that I threw out there. In the sense that if I were to game plan for Giga Chikadze and work with Calvin Cater, it would be one of the options that are on the table. It could have obviously failed and backfired. So, uh, so in this scenario, going forward and dumping lots of offense on Giga Chikadze and banking on your durability and uh, ability to maintain an, a, a frantic pace, a really, like, crazy pace, uh, like almost Max Holloway-esque, was the right decision. Uh, I always talk about how uh, there's, there's this dichotomy in decision-making when you're fighting. You either decide to leverage your attributes and kind of sort of, like, rely upon them to carry you through the fight... And grind your opponent out for pace, be it in wrestling or in striking or like volume offense, going forward, uh, tanking shots, or you could just kind of, you could like pick specific like tactical adjustments and like circumnavigate your opponent. And both are valid. Both both are entirely valid. And whenever a fighter showcases either of those, I'm impressed. So, like, the problem that Keita had, like, for example, go back and watch the Keita versus uh, Zabit fight. Zabit draws Keita out towards himself, makes him uh, makes him pressure, and Keita just looks kind of sort of lost pressuring. He, his punches are smothered, his offense is smothered, he's getting kicked up and countered. Uh, it's it's not like he's like getting his ass kicked or um, uh, accumulating tons of damage, it's just that He's not exactly able to fire off with solid offense, and uh, Zabit is racking up points. But whenever he kind of like decides to stand stand his ground in neutral space and kind of draws Zabit out towards him, his counters are crisp and clean, and the range is there. It's just that he likes having that range. He he enjoys having extension on the jab. He enjoys knowing that he will have full extension on his punches, and. Uh, uh, he lost the decision, and after that, I think immediately after that was the Stevens fight, and uh, he kind of, after this fight, he kind of took a lesson in that, oh, when I'm leading, I'm smothering my own punches, and uh, when I'm smothering my own punches, my fists kind of like, my, my arms start bending at the elbows. <laughs> What's this? Oh, I can use elbows, and then he knocks the, uh, Jeremy Stevens out with an elbow going forward. <laughs> it's not like he doesn't swarm Jeremy Stevens or anything it's just that he uh, like stands in neutral space throws a jab and then once Jeremy Stevens like uses the jab as a trigger to start firing back uh, Keita steps in with an elbow and decks uh, uh, decks and cuts Jeremy Stevens across the forehead and it's got, it's a it's a neat Neat little mid-fight adaptation. It's a, it shows that Keita is still savvy. He's very gifted at these offensive... Uh, to, he's very gifted at coming up with these offensive looks, and that's what I really appreciate about him as a fighter. And so, uh, we come to the fight itself. Uh, I'm gonna point out why Giga's, uh, some of Giga's offensive options stopped working throughout the breakdown, so bear with me. Okay, so, so the fight starts... Uh, Keita kind of doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily start super fast. He doesn't like barge barge into range out of the gate and starts uh, pouring on offense. It doesn't. He takes a he takes a second, to sort of like get a feel for K Giga's timing and that kind of stuff. Giga connects with a couple uh, a couple kicks, some of them on the guard. Connects with a couple punches on the guard. Connects with a couple jabs and then. Giga throws a very, very committed kick without really thinking about recovery. What do I mean by that? He throws a really committed kick and he doesn't like... 
he, he doesn't think about uh, stopping the kick or where he will stop the kick and like returning into his stance. Or doesn't think about spinning through. He just throws the kick, the kick misses, and he just falls flat on his ass. Kata, because he's not an idiot, obviously exploits that. Chases Giga to the to the fence, uh, takes the back, takes him down, spends the rest of the fight uh, in top mount. Or in half guard, whatever. Basically, he spends the rest of the round on top. Conceivably, you could uh, you could score that round for Giga because he he was the one landing offense, and uh, Kita just merely held him down. But as as a result, Giga is frustrated. Obviously, he's didn't didn't get the opportunity to score for the rest of the round from that moment onwards, and uh, he comes uh, starts the round two very 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 quickly, very fast. Starts pouring on offense, starts kicking, starts punching. But because he's anxious, uh, his uh, general problem with his mechanics and technique is exacerbated. Because once again, his punches become even more slappy. He starts doing these ugly blitzes. And that's why I talked about uh, Calvin Cater floating around on the outside. The purpose of, of that particular ga- game plan could have been to draw, to frustrate Giga and draw out these ugly blitzes that he does. And. Uh, the problem is that Giga starts leading with his face. It doesn't uh, like it's okay to shift. It's okay to blitz, provided you don't lead with your face and your punches don't come like. It's like it's a, it's a, his punches are really weird whenever he does a blitz. It's not like he's doing a shift with his hips. First he like throws a punch and then he his hips follow the course of the punch. It's very it looks very strange and he doesn't doesn't generate a lot of power that way. And so whenever Giga connected with punches going forward, it, they weren't really like stinging powerful shots, even though he's clearly able, he's clearly, he clearly should be able to uh, really deck people with really powerful punches. He's a powerful man, he has power, he has that snap. But whenever he smothers his own offense like that, it just doesn't lead to much of anything, really. And so Kato kind of sort of tanked, a couple of those shots on the guard, kind of like blocked, slipped, uh, the rest of it. And it all came on the same rhythm. It, it didn't like... Giga didn't like use a jab to step in with the jab and then like delay a right hand or anything. He doesn't do that stuff. Kata does. And that played a really, really major role in some of these exchanges because Kata got the timing on those punches, started slipping, rolling with a lot of them, as a result, he was able to evade a lot of the offense, and what offense did connect was uh, uh, the damage on it was curtailed because of Giga's mechanics. And then once uh, Keita got the bead on Giga Chikadze, he just started coming forward and throwing punches. He started throwing punches, and those punches, were, once again, were a bit smothered. They weren't, like, very powerful, and he's kind of... At first, he started... At first, he was loading up on them, quite a bit, and as a result not uh, all of them connected very well but whenever they did connect they obviously stung obviously hurt Giga Chikadze very badly and I think in the second round that's when one of the cuts appeared on his face it wasn't from an elbow, it was from a punch I think it was (laughs) and funnily enough um, kind of like in a Jeremy Stevens parallel, once Giga was cut up (laughs) Calvin Keita started throwing elbows it's kind of like when uh, Jeremy Stevens hits a body late in the fight and realizes that he could he can hit the body. And again, Kata did that as well in this fight. <laughs> Somewhere around like the fourth and fifth rounds, he started hitting the body. It's, it's very funny. So basically, Calvin Kata started swarming Giga Chikadze, and he, that's what he did. He didn't pressure Giga Chikadze. Uh, it's a It's a... It's a common mistake that even uh, the UFC commentators constantly make. They uh, call swarming pressure. And uh, what's the difference? The difference is that pressure is the use of your presence to maintain initiative and uh, eat up, eat, a, eat away at the space that's available to your opponent. So they only have 
You, know, you like you pressure them to the cage or the the to to the ropes, and now they have only two avenues of sca- of escape. They become more predictable. So you maintain initiative over their ability to navigate the space in which they operate, and then you can punish them. And you c- cut the ring or cut the cage by taking steps across yourself, taking taking moving sideways to stay on top of your opponent. It's not necessarily just throwing lots and lots of shit at them. You can't do that while pressuring. It's just that you have to kind of, you know, utilize your ring craft and control the space with your footwork to properly pressure. And what Keita did was to just chase after Giga Chikadze and he did not let up. He basically, like, Giga Chikadze would run away from him uh, along the fence, kind of, like, skipping away. And instead of, like, cutting cutting him off, Keita would just chase after him. But since uh, Giga Chikadze is kind of like foot slow, and Keita was like using shifting movement, kind of doing a bit of a Dustin Paul impression, he was able to chase after him. And because of his, uh, not only because of that, but because of his ranginess as well. And he was able to uh, uh, catch Giga Chikadze moving backwards. Then Giga Chikadze like figured, oh fuck, I'm getting messed up while I'm uh, backpedaling. I have to like do something. And he started like trying to barge back into range, and that's when Keita just and those were very telegraphed entries. And because of that, Keita became able. Keita was able to time those entries, those desperate entries. He would actually draw them out while chasing after Giga Chikadze. It was awesome. He would. Chase after Giga Chikadze, throw like a jab, 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 then shift into a right hand and continue with a jab, jab, jab. Then Giga Chikadze would barge into range and then he would spin through and hit him with a uh, spinning elbow right on the jaw. It was kind of like... It's almost like acted like a check hook from open... Like... <laughs> I'm, it's, I'm, like it's hard to explain, but he would deck him across the jaw with it. It was almost like getting decked with a hook, with a check hook coming in, except it's a spinning attack from within range, from the inside. It's sick. It's 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 just really cool. Look, it just looks cool, and it's very effective. And you could see that Giga Chikadze was hurt quite a bit by it. It's just that Giga Chikadze also has a fairly decent chin, so he didn't like go out. But a lesser fighter would have been would have been just floored. By this type of attack, um, and then uh, somewhere in the third round, uh, Keita kind of started becoming better and better at actually leading. Uh, where at first he would just kind of look really awkward and slow doing that, he would kind of like take a step back and figure out, oh, okay, I need to reset. I need to think about what I'm going to do. And uh, it was kind of like a funny dichotomy between him uh, looking like measured at first, and then he was just uh, uh, like sprinting forward like a madman. But I think I know why why that happened. It's just that he's not yet entirely comfortable with leading that way, moving um, and pursuing uh, opponents on the front foot. So kind of needed like a moment to reassess himself. And he would stand switch while doing that. And normally I would not advocate for stand switches, uh, constant stand switches. It's much better to... I, I know why he did it. Uh, he did not want to get kicked up and he wanted to provide different looks so Giga doesn't know with which uh, leg to, to kick, whether he would, whether he needs to leg kick or he needs to kick to the body. But uh, normally what I would recommend is uh, get really good at kicking, at defending kicks, rather. Uh, really good at checking. And so, if you stand uh, open stance, you cross check. You bring your front foot, front, uh, front knee in front of you, and kind of like, um, I'm sorry, the rear knee. <laughs> you br- <laughs> honestly both kind of work. Uh, you either, basically you bring one of your knees, br- bring them up, and in a checking motion, in order to touch your elbow with the knee, with the point of your elbow with the knee, and it like forms you. It's kind of like. As as it is with the regular check against the leg kick, you do that against the body kick from open stance. Uh, it's called a cross check. And uh, against leg kick, obviously, you just check the kicks. But it, since Keita is not exactly like a very prolific kick checker, I guess uh, it made sense for him to continue like giving Giga different looks to sort of like throw him off. 
It's just that against a severe kicker, it's not exactly going to work. And then, so basically what this resulted in is that Calvin Kitter was able to... Uh, well, actually, now that I think about it, like shifting stances just like in front of um, Giga Chikadze may not have been... Um, while it may seem like not the textbook thing to do in the context of that fight, it's okay because Giga wasn't like punishing it in any way. And it allowed Calvin Cater to set up shifting offense. So I guess it's fine. And Giga's defensive responses weren't exactly varied. Um, he would kind of like duck, sort of like slip to the side, and he would usually slip to only one side and slip or slip with the um, same timing, constantly react to Cater's throwaway strikes the same way, and Cater would start timing them. You could see him trying to figure out the timing on the on the uppercut, and then he, well, he was able to do that. And uh, uh, later in the fight, when he figured that when Giga actually like started like being able through uh, uh, through the sheer fact that he got clattered with so many punches, he was able to slip some of them. Kater just started hitting the body. Even though, I mean, obviously, the ideal way would be to start hitting the body from the get-go, because the body will always be there, and like the head, but whatever. And, um, <clears throat> where was I? Uh, yeah, shifting offense. Okay, so, uh, basically, like, Kater picked a direction, started shifting, started, fuck uh, started fucking giga up, uh, hit upon the uh, elbow uh, thing and uh, started fucking gigging up even 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 worse. Uh, the one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, the commentary in this fight, uh, normally like the commentary is generally like it, it seems like the general UFC mandate is to downplay the violence that is unfolding on the screen. Uh, it's to to make the casual viewer feel like they're not watching a beating. But they're watching a fight, and so every time like someone is not doing well, uh, it's kind of like they give like this canned response where they say, "Oh, so and so isn't doing well, but uh, you never know. Like one punch can change it all, etc., etc., etc." And and Bisping has um, Bisping is uh, the biggest offender uh, in, in that respect, and in this fight. <laughs> Every time where Bisping would like point out all the ways in which Giga Chikadze is being like demolished, he would say, "But, but make no mistake, I'm a huge Giga fan. I'm a huge Giga fan. Giga can still got it. He can still come back." Uh. <laughs> it just <laughs> made for a very, very bizarre experience watching this fight with commentary on. And uh, them, Dominic Cruz and uh, Bisping were talking about how Giga Chikadze could change forward momentum by taking, by like shooting, and by attempting a takedown. And like Giga Chikadze wouldn't do that. He can't do that. You can't ask a fighter to just come out with, a, uh, come up with a look that he's never sho never shown before. Like uh, a much more sensible. Uh, much more sensible comment would be to, oh, look, Giga Chikadze is trying to punish uh, Calvin Cater's jab, but he just hasn't got the timing on it because he's constantly backpedaling. Because that's what was happening. Uh, <laughs> I mean, whatever. The com commentary. Commentary booths. Uh, it's just atrocious across all sports. Actually, speaking about that, uh, now that I mention it, uh, there's a a discussion panel in the works about all the all the issues that we see with commentary in MMA at the fight side. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that. Anyway, back to the fight. Uh, the, the funny thing is, uh, whenever Giga started getting a sort of like uh, started figuring out Kato's timing, Kato would mess it up. He would be the one to actually initiate grappling situations and wrestling situations first. Because everyone forgets about this, and uh, everyone except uh, I think Paul from Southpaw, Southpaw, when he when we were predicting when we were previewing the his fight against Max Holloway, Paul from Southpaw actually mentioned this like as a possibility against Max Holloway. wasn't be hasn't been able to utilize this against Max Holloway, but was able to showcase this in, a, in this particular fight. 
It's that Calvin Cater has decent wrestling credentials. And I presume he has wrestled some guys on the regionals because he has a quite quite an assortment of decision wins. And I presume that's where they came from. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong in the comments or in the replies uh, on the Twitter thread in which I will uh, post this podcast. One thing that I've noticed Kater doing, and one thing that I would like him to do more often, and that's why I said it's not his preferred tool in the toolbox, but one that would benefit him quite a bit was you know, the linear kicks to the gut. And the way Kater shifted. The way Kata shifted, honestly, it makes me think that you could, uh, I mean, it's a bit five years too late, but honestly, if um, uh, it's kind of like the tragedy of Calvin Kata in general. Like, the man is obviously extremely talented. An extremely talented guy. Uh, very, very technically savvy. Uh, obviously, the ringcraft and footwork are his weaknesses, and... Uh, it's uh, he's not like the most defensively sound fighter out there but he's decent he's one of the better ones and beyond that extremely offensively potent extremely offensively talented and if you were to teach him how to combine kicking offense with his shifting he would become just that much more potent if you were only to teach him how to kick to the gut in open stance and how to leg kick in closed stance uh, off off the punches and mix the two together he'd be so dangerous he'd be he'd be a murderer <laughs> and it would, be, it would be even even more awesome to watch but uh, uh, what are you gonna do uh, anyway uh, th- that's the fourth round for you basically and uh, what, the final really cool look of the fourth round was uh the skip up, uh, the um, skip feint into uh, like a, a front tomahawk uh, elbow. Uh, it's like it's like when you do a, like a do like a skip up and then enter with a punch. Except this time, uh, Kater entered with an elbow. It was just what can, like it, it was awesome. You just really really neat little looks. That you rarely see from fighters in MMA. I just can't praise it enough. Like, he used a front kick earlier uh, in that round. And then he just kind of showed. Kind of shown trying to do that. And then just used that to get into range. Get within range and then unleash an elbow. It's extremely useful against kickers in particular. Because whenever you're fighting against a kicker... Um, whenever you find your jab counted with a leg kick, timed with a leg kick, or timed with a uh, an open stance kick, what you can do is just enter behind the raised knee, and uh, the raised knee will kind of like act like a sort of like um, you're showing that you're kind of trying to you're gonna you're showing that you're gonna push them away with a kick, either that or you're showing that if they kick, it's uh, not gonna connect on anything except uh, the check. And then you can start punching after that. Afterwards, it's uh, very useful. Masvidal was um, Masvidal back in his uh, journeyman days was very proficient uh, proficient at that. And he would kind of like combine it, like he would do a skip up, uh, and then jab to the chest. And uh, once the opponent is distracted by the jab to the chest, he would throw a right hand or something else. Just really neat look. Jabbing off the like hooking off that jab to the chest behind the skip up is also a neat look. You can steal it. <laughs> I just I'm giving you carte blanche to steal it uh, for your sp- next sparring session, whenever that may be. Anyway, fifth round, f- fifth and final round, basically more of the same. Uh, Kata starts connecting with basically everything that he throws. Giga Chikadze is exhausted, unable to mount any offense, uh, face a bloodied mask. Kata starts unleashing combination elbows, and that's what um, kind of reminded me of uh, uh, the the the, um, the kickboxer, the Australian or like New, New Zealand kickboxer. I think it, he's Australian. Yeah, uh, Carnage Corbett, Nathan Carnage Corbett. I think Jack Slack mentioned him quite a while ago on one of his uh, older podcasts, where he talked about uh, Nathan Corbett and sort of boxing with the elbows. 
when um, when where he would throw elbows the same way like you would throw a boxing combination like you would throw an uppercut elbow followed by uh, a left kind of like sort of a left hook elbow i hope you understand what i mean and Keita did that <laughs> just it was awesome it's so great such a i mean what a performance uh, anyway uh after a few a couple of minutes more of that uh, a couple of minutes more of the same Yege is just unable to take it anymore uh, gets knocked down falls uh, falls down at the very last second of the fight and uh that's that uh almost got knocked out but um just like it was spared uh, that fate by the fact that the fight was basically over by that point so kind of like just kind of beautiful in a sense uh like Keita was able to like sort of paint a masterpiece almost like uh after so many years of being criticized for having trouble uh, with troubles with uh, picking a direction in the fight and uh, having troubles with kickers uh, being exposed, quote unquote, after the Max Holloway fight, comes back, beats a hyped prospect, a, f- a prospect that they, a contender rather, a, even a, a contender, even the, the UFC clearly wanted to fast track Giga Chikadze uh, for that title shot. Uh, the all the Giga Kick marketing and that kind of bullshit, and the things that uh, Giga Chikadze was mm, talking about. Uh, jumping in there and like fucking Volkanovsky up, getting that belt and uh, uh, ignoring Cater and looking past him. Cater comes in, dominates Giga Chikadze, uh, beats him from like beats him from pillar to post for five rounds, and then knocks him down. And knocks him down at the very last second of the very last round. Just you get this visual vista get this vista of Giga Chikadze falling down at the very last second of the fight and uh, Keita barging in to finish him and then the fight ends. Uh, mercifully, the fight ends. And <laughs> Couldn't be done better. Uh, couldn't, uh, couldn't write a better story if you tried. But anyway, the takeaways. Um, I saw some people talking about that uh, Keita got worse and that he looked sloppier with his boxing. And, um, I mean, the only appropriate response is that uh, is the one my, my friend Simon Amorim uh, came up with, is that Keita said, fuck it, we ball, and did cool, nasty shit. And various nerds and losers just can't get it, can't understand it, can't wrap their, bra- their brains around it. Just, oh, we wanted Keita to look more boring and safe. <laughs> Instead of giving this, giving us this amazing, uh, amazing bloody, gritty fights that you can revisit over and over again in the future, I mean, as I've said this multiple times already, Kato has always sucked at leading, picking directions in the fight because his sense of distance. Once again, let's just revisit all the takeaways, all the primary takeaways from this fight. He his sense of distance is predicated on being able to measure with the jab. His fights are always aimless and were at the very least always aimless until he found the range and stuck with the and, and could stick the jab and counter. Here he decided to never stop going forward like a madman, and uh, the fact that he looked mechanically sloppy is irrelevant when compared to the strategic importance of that decision. It was ugly and nasty, and it won him the fight. It was almost like an adaptation stolen from Max Holloway in a sense, because what he did kind of reminded of uh, reminded me of what Max Holloway did to Calvin Cater, in that Max Holloway obviously never stopped pressing forward and uh, uh, unleashed a hellacious barrage of elbows on Calvin Cater, which is uh, the point uh, at which the fight should have been stopped, in my opinion, but it wasn't, so uh, what are you going to do? So... Basically, what happened is that Calvin Cater survived the second battle of Fallujah, and his takeaway was, I'm fucking invincible. <laughs> so he started pressing forward, <laughs> tank- tanking Giga's strikes and just uh, fucking him up. But uh, 
upon revi- upon revisiting this fight, I've noticed that Keita actually like received way less damage than it's, than it seemed live. And indeed, I was uh, in the voice chat with uh, our Discord pa- patrons for that fight, and uh, a lot of the Discord patrons still insisted, were still kept insisting that the fight is still close. And uh, upon revisiting this fight, I'm sorry, no, it wasn't. But I mean, it's, watching fights live is um, a bit, it's a skill you have to cultivate and not a lot of people uh, are really that great at uh, like figuring out what's uh, in which direction the fight is going. I personally never had trouble with it, but uh, it's a common thing, common enough thing that I uh, shouldn't be too hard on people for it, uh, for displaying this trait. Anyway. I think what this what this um what I want to um, what I wish to emphasize with this fight in particular with this performance in particular is that um Haxerized always talks about it um uh, in that self-awareness is is a borderline superpower in combat sports the ability to look your look yourself in uh, look at yourself in the mirror without uh, insecurity uh, without allowing insecurity to dictate your understanding of what happened to dictate your perception of self um, and it's kind of it's a direct it's in direct ju- juxtaposition with uh, the idea that fighters have to be delusional and it's something Joe Rogan says on his podcast over and over again and something that fans repeat constantly uncritically over and over again whenever someone whenever a fighter displays the sort of like borderline delusion about uh, their prospects and about their skill set and abilities like Giga Chikadze came out after this fight saying that 9 out of 10 times I win what Giga Chikadze said laying in the hospital after Calvin Cater graciously took a picture with him showed him a sign of respect um for a fight well fought, Giga Chikadze went to the hospital, all all sorts of fucked up, both eyes blackened, with with two black eyes, <laughs> cut up, cut up to absolute pieces. Says if I fought with this guy ten times, I would lose one time, and it was last night. I mean, you could say this sort of shit if you like bungled a, a, a slam attempt and knocked yourself out or something or some something dumb like that or if your like knee exploded and then you got knocked out by an opportunistic uh, opponent but when you got 50 45 maybe don't do that <laughs> maybe don't say stupid shit and it's like uh I'm not talking about fighters themselves. Like, yeah, sure, fighters themselves may be delusional. Maybe it's better to perceive yourself as unbeatable and invincible and um, to increase your confidence on fight night. But uh, the coach's staff should be really realistic at all times and the, the, the coaching staff should, be, should uh, provide frequent reality checks to their fighters otherwise they just turn into yes men like confidence is crucial but mindless delusion ruins development elite competition if you wish to hang in there with the elites uh, you have to constantly critically evaluate skill yours or your opponents you have to critically evaluate your abilities and uh, see if there's any habits or flaws in your skill set that your opponent may exploit i mean sure it's the coach's job to do that but i mean neither the coaches nor the fighters in mma really like engage in that type of uh ruthless critical evaluation like clinical um picking apart critical clinical analysis of um of skill of both the opponent and uh, the fighter, the fighter themselves, and refusing to acknowledge that, uh, refusing to acknowledge that you have weaknesses or that your habits may be exploited by savvy opponents means you're easier to beat. 
and refusing to acknowledge that you got beat for precisely those reasons means the only thing you took away from the fight is from the fight that you've lost is brain trauma. And coaches who carelessly encourage the illusion without harsh, realistic criticism and frequent reality checks can easily cause the fighter's skill development to plateau and subsequently decline. Like, believe in yourself all you want, but it has to be backed up by real skill and smart use of talent. Otherwise, you're just a bag of hot air, of which there's a dime a dozen in every field ever invented by humans. And someone's, someone is bound to pop your balloon eventually. Like, obviously you have to believe in yourself, but there's a level of confidence that I see being encouraged in the fighters across the board that would lead to those fighters never exploring the upper limits of their skill ceiling. Like, fighters just straight up get their asses beat while never, ever learning from their mistakes, and that's just one of the reasons why career turnarounds are so exceedingly rare in the sport. Neither camps, no coaches seem to ever try and address or work around limitations. Talented guys aimlessly float around in the cage and up and down the rankings, and sure, a lot of it is uh, bizarre matchmaking, but it's not like it's only the UFC or other fight organizations who are at fault for this. My point is that a dangerous and unhelpful level of confidence is encouraged across all levels in combat sports, culturally, financially, and socially. Like, delusion is straight-up dangerous, but people with no competition experience consider all forms of formidable confidence to be delusional. So in their mind, delusion equals a high level of confidence. And people really need to wise up to the fact that in the context of high-level competition, some bubbles absolutely need to be burst because people are getting hurt because of them. And like, even from a selfish standpoint, we straight up get worse product as consumers. So when more people wise up to the realities of elite competition, societal pressure for the sport to evolve rises. We need to start developing sets of best practices and incentivize good institutional precedents. And obviously, uncritically accepting dumbness won't help anyone. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about fighters themselves um, being punished for, like, maintaining, like, like, for believing in themselves. I'm not talking about it. One counter-argument I frequently see is that people, like, say, yeah, like, uh, I mean, but fighters are dumb when they can't critically evaluate their own skill sets, and what if they start having doubts, etc., etc. Like, they're gonna have worse doubts after they get their shit kicked in for being in denial about having a giant hole in their game. I mean, most of them are tough people. They should be able to figure it out. And, like, sure, the coach should be the one to be all cynical and realistic about the fighter's prospects. But that includes slapping your fighter if they ever go, mentally, I am undefeated. And honestly, it doesn't seem like there's an awful lot of them actually doing that. Like, honestly, I'm, I'm just really, really done with delusion being propped up as a required trait. Like, true confidence is found in reflection, and admittedly the road to achieve it is very hard fault. Many only come close to it when they hit the end of the line, but nothing prevents you from striving to achieve it, aside from your own insecurity. And honestly, truly knowing what you can do is much more rewarding than just pretending you can. But first you've got to acknowledge your limitations. And you can start by admitting that you have those. Obviously, this, um, this, this depends, uh, this heavily depends on, uh, the personality of the fighter in question. Like, but, uh, Hax pointed this out to me in a conversation once, is, is that confidence exists on a spectrum between goals and processes, or steps to get there. Like, for most fighters, sitting a lot closer to the goal side of the spectrum when being delusional is the right move, but... Being deluded about your goal or capabilities is one thing, and warranted for many people and many personality types, but being deluded about your analytical process to get there is uh, how fighters end up with CTE at 35. Like, this guy beat me and I've had two losses versus top five guys, but I can turn around, if I can turn it around, I will be champion. 
that's the type of thinking that is required if you ever want to do a like uh, if you want to repeat the success of Charles Oliveira of uh, or Michael Bisping. But going, this guy is bad, and nine out of ten times I win. I just underperformed. Is usually the fastest track to just a, a career, um, a career dead end. Like believing that you can improve to a, an insane degree is necessary. Uh, so like like believing that you can become a different person or a different fighter or become the the a, a better become a better uh version of yourself is necessary like even if it isn't true but believing that you don't need to now that's poisonous like to quote um to quote sriram someone someone like kata saying that he wants the belt seems silly but that's normal. And it's framed properly. Uh, it's framed as, I need to get a ton better. Like, there's there's a very hard road ahead of me. I need to improve. It will be super hard, but I will. And that sort of framing is beneficial. Framing matters. And Chikadze and Amelia, on the other hand, they would stay useless if they could help it, because losses aren't their fault. It's just, never my fault, this type of thinking. Anyway, where I'm going with this. What Keita showed is an example, a really great example of good confidence. Like, Keita got his ass kicked, and his response was to shut up and go back go back to training. Just to, to go back, put in hard work to improve. And he actually tried to address an old weakness. Which is... Uh, uh, like uh, being like being uncomfortable with leading and conceding ground for no reason, that kind of stuff. And he looked wobbly and wonky and awkward uh, in spots. And he should because he's trying things that have historically made him uncomfortable. He's trying new things, and he took damage doing it. But the fact that he had the guts to go ahead and do it is incredibly encouraging. And I respect that way, way more than guys just refusing to acknowledge that they have any flaws and going uh, mentally I am undefeated uh, mentally I am uh, 11 and 0 uh, my win streak hasn't been hasn't been broken yada 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 don't respect that and I think fans uh, in general should stop respecting it like as a rule because it's one of those issues that uh, tie into the general uh, institutional problems that we and uh, like cultural problems that we have in MMA, like um, the idea of toughness and uh, uh, the idea of uh, going out on your shield, the idea that oh, if the fighter still wants it, then he should fight, even though the fighter is clearly past it physically, that kind of stuff. Like, fight fans are really immature, as a rule. And um, there is a tendency to think of fighters as sacks of meat that are just invincible and that can take anything. Or that... it's I mean, it's easier to think about fighters as, like, oh, the fighters, the fighters are a breed apart. They do not possess the same needs and problems that us humans do. And they have completely different concerns. So it's fine for them to act like shitheads or act, act, act deluded or act silly and it's okay for fighters to go for like um, uh, meme career routes instead of improving in areas in which they should improve to continue if they if they have any hope of uh, achieving elite status looking at you kevin holland i think this is just an attitude that i have a particular distaste towards it. It's an attitude that I think encourages stagnation. It doesn't encourage uh, improvement, and it goes against... Uh, I don't know. This is going to sound wanky, but it goes against the spirit of martial arts, really. Uh, not in the, oh, 
like honorable and respectful behavior sort of sense it's in in the sense that of that uh in order to be a better fighter you have to be you have to ruthlessly evaluate yourself and constantly improve you have to constantly train that's what combat sports and fighting is about you fight tough opponents who are also constantly tough on themselves and constantly train and so constantly training to kick their ass better is the most respectful thing you can do <laughs> really in this context so like i wouldn't have as much of a problem with chikadze's statement if he, if it was framed as oh okay keita was better that night uh he kicked my ass uh w- wasn't able to showcase my my a game but i will come back i will improve and uh, if you if keita wants a rematch i will improve and then i will beat the shit out of him now that would be normal that's the kind of confidence that I can back, get behind, even if I do not necessarily realistically agree with with what he's saying. But he, if he were to say that and pull it off, then my stock of Giga Chikadze would like like the, the, the stock Giga Chikadze, Chikadze stock would raise in my eyes, like it would just skyrocket. It's like it, it's a difference in framing, you see. And people usually don't think about it all that much, and uh, it leads to a lot of dumbness in, and uh, misconceptions and uh, misunderstandings in the discourse. Right. What are you do? What are you gonna do? Anyway, that's me off the soapbox. Um, just uh, couldn't praise. Uh, can't heap enough praise on Calvin Cater for pulling this this one off. Really, really awe-inspiring all performance. Uh, just excellent, excellent stuff. Uh, here's to more uh, interesting and uh, exciting performances. Just um, uh, not sure. Who, uh, haven't given much thought to um, possible matchups yet. Uh, but uh, we shall see. Uh, we shall evaluate them as they come. Uh, beyond that, we have UC two to seventy coming up, and I have uh, a decent decent amount of thoughts on Francis and Gan versus Cyril Gan. But um, I think uh, for for now this episode, I think I think I'd like to keep this episode as a uh, as a uh, clear cut Kato versus Chikadze breakdown, and it's uh, an hour long uh, as it is. So um, uh, I think I have to stop here. But I will give it a shot. I will try and preview the event. Um, or rather, at least the main event. Um, somewhere this week, hopefully not too late in the week, so as not to make the um, preview relevant. And uh, I'm pretty sure Fenio and uh, Dan Albert are, re- uh, are in the process of recording a preview for the entirety of the pay-per-view. So certainly stay tuned for that. Uh, beyond that... Uh, what else do I have in mind? Oh, yeah, the commentary in MMA, the discussion panel about commentary in MMA, and uh, just commentary in combat sports in general, and uh, what constitutes good commentary. Uh, we're going to record that, and it's going to come out uh, before the end of next week, I think, hopefully. Maybe, well, basically later, somewhere later in the month. Or maybe like in the beginning of February, I don't know. Depending on uh, scheduling issues, uh, depending on scheduling and all that kind of stuff, uh, scheduling is an issue. It's uh, it's a bit of a problem because everyone lives in different time zones, obviously, and has day jobs. But we'll try and get it out. And um, I've recorded a boxing instructional, uh, an instructional on how to utilize boxing basics in MMA. It's called Soviet Boxing for MMA. It's uh, up on our Patreon for three bucks per month. So if you wish to... It's I, I cover th- the first three parts cover just the bare bones stuff like stunts and uh, stuff like moving with punches straight punches like the very basicest of basic things, and I go over each detail and I explain why you should do th- why I prefer to do things the way I do them. I give a reason for for everything that I demonstrate in there. So if you have ever wondered why certain things are done the way they're done. 
check it out. Um, uh, as also, uh, for, uh, I've said this before, if you subscribe at five bucks per month, you naturally get access to all of our content, and then you get access to our Discord server where you may hang out with like-minded fans and converse with uh, staff members. Um, our Discord subscribers, uh, guys like Raiden and Silas, who recently started putting out their own podcast, they host uh, watch parties, fight watch parties in the voice chat. So if you ever w wanted to hang out with uh, some, some some nice people and uh, watch some nice fights, watch some cool fights, that's the place to go. Uh, this uh, this is, I would say this is the first proper Tengridome episode uh, of this year. Uh, last episode was kind of like st uh, me still trying to shake myself awake. Um, but... Um, and uh, I've been feeling kind of under the weather lately, but um, uh, I've managed to get my shit together for this one, so I, I hope you enjoyed it. There's a huge backlog of uh, topics that I would like to cover this uh, in this uh, this year, and uh, here's hoping I would manage to get them all. But otherwise, uh, here's to... Uh, I suppose here's to a new year of combat sports and uh, hopefully a new year of excellent, excellent performances and uh, excellent fights. Anyway, glad to be back. Um, hope this podcast made, uh, uh, hope this episode made for uh, for an interesting listen and I'm off. I think we can all agree that elbows are fucking sick. <laughs>